and welcome to episode 121 of Random Encounter, the RPG Fan Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Steinman, Pale Robbie on the boards. Joining me today is uh, Derek. I got nothing. I'm sorry. I, I didn't think anything through. I'm the man with the plan. I got a block in my hand, and I'm ready to rebuild LF Guard. I'm Derek Heemsbergen, Embryon on the boards, and I got sucked the hell into Dragon Quest Builders. It's really good, isn't it? It's really surprisingly good. good. I don't even... Okay, so it's often said, uh, Dragon Quest Builders is the Minecraft game for people who don't like Minecraft, and that yep. could not be more accurate. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. Uh, just just wait for the boss of Chapter 2, and then grit, grit your teeth and get through Chapter 3, and you'll be fine. It's just... I want a sequel to that game so bad. I really yeah. do, because... Like, they just need to fix a few things, and they will have, like, an absolute classic on their hands. Because that... I started really taking pride in building my little town. I know. I was, like, I, I was like, I want to feng shui everything correctly and, like, put up a bunch of decorations <laughs> and stuff. Yep. It's a good game. Nice. It's a good nice game. game. Uh, and then we also have uh, Robert, I don't like the voice actors in Phoenix Wright Fenner. <laughs> What can I say? They should talk a little bit more like this. Tell hey, I'm Marty, hey, I'm Noctis. I'm locked in over here with my shirt and my shoes and my feet. Dino, best character for every year. <laughs> okay, so this is our 2016 retrospective show. We could just kind of talk about, uh, kind of freeform, just talk about games that we enjoyed this year, games we didn't enjoy this year, some highs, some lows. Uh, Fenner is off in the corner grinding an axe right now when we get to zero time dilemma, so I apologize. It's an axe ending, if you will. Yee, uh, I'm, I'm hoping there's another timeline we can skip to when we get to that point <laughs> where, where, where we got a good version of zero time shift. dilemma. You got a shift, man. We got a shift, got a shift. Um, you know, and then we're going to talk about what we're looking forward to in, uh, 2017, because we got a lot of games coming out, uh, we all played the near automata demo and oh yes that music yo I <laughs> that know. music so yes uh we have lots and lots to talk about Derek has a list of things to talk about Derek take it away you want me to start off well yep. We have, between the three of us, I think we have pretty diverse tastes. I uh, tend to lean more towards the Japanese stuff. Robert, you, or Rob, rather, goes more towards Western stuff, usually, just generally. And then, Robert, I think you're you're kind of a wild card. Sometimes I think that, that we're going to have the same opinion on something, and then you drag shit I like through the mud. So I'm like, damn. Whoa. It's not that severe. <laughs> no, I, no, I think we're we're on pretty similar wavelengths for the most part. <laughs> but I have a, I have a list of stuff. Oh, are you... Are you Monokuma right now? Uh, that's what I was going for right there. It just it came out a little bit. Uh, that's another game we're going to talk about. We're looking yeah. forward to. Yeah, there, there, there were there were a lot of really great games this year. Um, Shing! <laughs> Sorry. All right, I'll stop. I'll stop. Rob, I know you'll you'll get to why you think that this wasn't necessarily your year in gaming, um, but I think there was there was still a lot to like for everybody, uh, and there was some stuff that released. Like, I know that Xenoblade Chronicles X released right at the tail end of last year, and it didn't get included in a lot of Game of Year discussions. I, we put it in ours, if I remember correctly. I think but so, yeah. This is my incredibly brief shout-out to that, because that's a, that's a good game, even if it does falter in some ways. But, uh, yeah, 2016 was a year full of RPGs. It seemed like there was a big release coming out every couple of months. Um, it was a Final Fantasy year. Those are always big years, and it's been a long time since the last offline Final Fantasy release. Because, what, 13 came out in... 2012 or 2013? No, no. Wait, 
No, no. I was in grad school. It was 2009, I want to say. What? Uh, 2009 in Japan. It came out at the same time as um, Resident Evil. Jesus. Okay. Yep. They were oh released on the same day, in fact. Okay. Well, apparently I know nothing. Um, I see worldwide release here was March 2010. So, oh, my God. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, I can't believe it's been that long. So, you know, six years since the last uh, offline Final Fantasy release. And, of course, we don't subscribe to the philosophy that 14 is not a proper Final Fantasy game because it is, and it's fantastic. But, I got to uh, I got to admit looking at all that stuff for uh what is it Stormblood I was mm-hmm. like oh man I might I might have to do this. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, we'll chat about that in a little bit. But there was so there was a Final Fantasy game that came out this year. We had a, a new Pokemon game, mainline oh, yeah, Pokemon, yeah, yeah. which is always a big deal. It's been a while since the last main generation game released. I remember I was still living uh I was still rooming with a friend back when when uh, X and Y came out, so it's just kind of like wow been some time um we saw the conclusion of uh the zero escape series uh which we have pretty mixed feelings about but anyway i'm getting ahead of myself just a little bit so uh, i will start uh maybe we can just kind of take turns going through games that we really liked this year yeah yeah I one of my faves from this year uh should be absolutely no surprise to anybody was trails of cold steel 2 because damn it i i'm just an unabashed falcom fanboy at this point i I love pretty much everything they put out. It doesn't really seem to... <laughs> they seem to manage to avoid the tropes and the cliches just enough for me to keep getting sucked into these worlds and wanting to know what's going on with their characters and everything. But Trails of Cold Steel 2 is interesting just because it came out in a year that had such high-profile releases like Final Fantasy 15, and yet I still felt like it stands toe-to-toe with them. Or I feel like it stands toe-to-toe with them because it's you know, it's just well-realized... Um, I've talked endlessly on this podcast and elsewhere about why Falcom's world building I think is so good and, and why I have such a deep personal affinity for that series. But um, Cold Steel 2, I just think when when I compare Cold Steel 2 to something like Final Fantasy 15, which isn't necessarily a fair comparison because they're very different games. I, I see Cold Steel 2, a game with ostensibly lower production values, just having so much more heart, so much more character and so much more depth to its world class narrative. Um and again, they are totally different experiences. But did you guys play that on Vita or PlayStation Three? I played it. Uh, I reviewed it on Vita, and the Vita has some performance issues. It's not enough to break the game, but I, I think that PS3 is by far the preferred version if you can spend the time in front of the TV. Okay. Okay. I'm playing it on PlayStation Three, and there's still performance issues there. So yeah, it's better. It's though. probably I've, fine on Vita. I've compared them. Yeah. Oh yeah. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's it's worse on Vita by quite a bit. But we talked about it uh, quite a bit. You know, I, I was really excited to give that game a shot, but I just didn't. It it didn't do it for me, and I I can't really explain why. Um, you know, I I think I, maybe I was just expecting something else out of it. Uh, but it just it just didn't do it. Um, maybe, maybe it's I'm a, not that surprised actually. But I but now why did I like Persona so much? Well, I mean they're pretty different in terms of... I think of Persona is a lot more tightly paced, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember I remember. Uh, Derek was telling me, like, you need to get through the beginning of Cold Steel if you're going to enjoy it. And I was like, oh, boy. Oh, boy. There's a lot of places in the Trails games, in Cold Steel in particular, where like I feel like you could cut certain segments out and it would be a much, like, smaller and probably more masterfully directed experience. But, like, I didn't really mind those segments, but I could see how 
it kind of held it back from being, you know, a- appealing to others who wouldn't be super invested in, in that series. Uh-huh. I can agree with that. I think it's, it's because the, the core parts are so well designed that I'm able to not just put up with those sorts of sections, but I can, I can kind of appreciate them for what they are, but I think yeah. you're right. Um, they, they are a little superfluous. Sometimes it just sort of feels like fat that could be cut away, you know, could be left. I could take or leave basically those parts. Um, hmm. And I think about something else, like we may discuss this later on, but uh, Steins Gate zero, which we just discussed in the last episode. Uh, I know that, you're playing it as well, Robert, and I, I find that that game could cut out easily 25 to 50 percent of of the writing of just the mm. sheer content and be a much better game because it's the kind of game where the bloat isn't doing it a service. It's it's just sort of weighing down the entire experience. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas Trails, I think that there if there is bloat, it's sort of manageable because I already like what's going on so much, you know. Yeah, and some of that's optional bloat as well. You know, you don't have to do all of the side quests, but I mean, I do because I want to, but you know, that's not really the case in something like Steins Gate where it's, you know, you're reading essentially a linear book on screen. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, those are so different again that it's not necessarily fair to draw comparisons between them. Hmm. Just, sure. Just sort of an idea that I had, yeah. And now Cold Steel 3 is going to be PlayStation 4 exclusive. That's right. Say? Yep. And I think that's, that's fantastic. No, yeah. I think that's a good thing. I think uh, they don't really need to do the whole save data transfer thing because Cold Steel Three is going to represent, yeah, enough of enough of a narrative break. Um, okay, okay. It's definitely, it's still the same. There are a lot of the same characters returning, but if Cold Steel One and Two are about anything, it's the story of Class Seven, those those core characters who are at the heart of um, the entire tale and how they're sort of finding their way in a. In a a nation that essentially descends or eventually descends into war. Um, Cold Steel three is going to be, it still has those people like Reen is still um, important, but we don't know if he's the protagonist anymore. It seems like he's not. And uh, yeah, so it's, I think it's removed enough that we don't need to like carry over character levels or anything. Cause it wouldn't make sense. Um, hmm. And I also think it's time to, to leave that hardware behind because if they're going to make any more games, I, I think the, the PS4 is where it's at, and people enough people have next-gen consoles. Mm-hmm. And considering how poorly Cold Steel 2 ran or runs on Vita, I, I don't want Cold Steel 3 on Vita, especially not with the newer engine that would probably run worse. I think that's one of the reasons I'm holding back on playing that game, because I'm like, oh, I was really looking forward to playing this on my Vita, and then Derek told me bad things. It's still playable on Vita, for sure. I, I just I'm pickier than most about frame rates, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, so it, it bugged me, but... Yep, frame rate's important. As I'm sitting here playing a little bit of Hyper Light Drifter at the 60 frame, plays better. Well, I mean, you don't need to pull off any dexterous moves in Cold Steel, so That's true. there's, That's there's true. that. This is true. But uh, yeah, Trolls of Cold Steel 2, we've talked about a lot, and there's, I mean, as as far as most anticipated stuff goes, um, I'm just to dip my toe into it, of course, Cold Steel 3, I doubt, is going to come out here next year, seeing as it's slated for... Uh, next year in Japan, and it takes mm-hmm. a while to localize those games. So mm-hmm. um, there's a that that's on my most anticipated. I just don't know when the hell it's going to happen. Well, it looks like we'll have uh, Trails in the Sky the Third to tide us over at least. This is true. Yep, it'd be nice to finally complete that segment of the story, fill in some more background. Cool. All right, Rob, what uh, what's the game that you really like this year? Man, so uh, you know, 
I think this was one of those years where this was maybe a little bit more for the uh, the people interested in the JRPGs, uh, a little bit more than myself. Uh, when we were talking about Game of the Year stuff, and this podcast will be going up at the same time as you can take a look at our Game of the Year winners, I really didn't have a whole lot of uh, emotional investment this year. Like, I played games that I liked. Uh, there's still a lot in my backlog that I haven't gotten to yet. I, I know I, I was so happy with Tyranny at E3, but I still haven't had a chance to sit down and actually play the damn thing, so I can't speak to that. I, I guess the only game that really came up again and again in my thoughts, even though I, I scored it kind of harshly, was Dragon Quest Builders. I really... That game surprised the living crap out of me because when they first announced that, that looked like it had just been built in a marketing meeting made by like the the shiftiest executives. Like, oh, what are the kids into these days? Well, I hear the kids are into Minecraft. All right, well, what what else are the kids into? Dragon Quest. Oh, let's combine the two. <laughs> like, and and it just it ends up working, and it worked very very well. And even though I had big problems with that game. Like, the boss fights are terrible, and Chapter 3 can just go to hell. That game is so unique and so fun. It is able to tap into just the right amount of nostalgia, the just the right amount of new. And in the middle of this, like, Dragon Quest renaissance that we're having right now, like, to have something that different was really, really special. And I think our generation doesn't really get Minecraft you know, I, th- I think we appreciate it, but we don't get it the way, like, kids that started playing that game when it first came out get it. But having some direction in Minecraft was the best possible formula, I think, for older gamers like us. And I, th- I really want to see a sequel where they dip into that more. Like, there was one part where I just, I didn't want to fight a bunch of those knight enemies. And so I made myself, like, this huge sky bridge to just go over them to the next objective. <laughs> That's awesome. And it was this really emergent moment of gameplay of just, like, this is what this game does so right. And I I really hope they incorporate more of that into, like, I, I think the combat in that game is boring after the first hour that you've played it. I think, you know, Derek, you're in the middle of Chapter 2 right now. Mm-hmm. At this point, you're probably really tired of like batting things oh, around in that game. There's just nothing to it. It's just No, it's terrible. It's just it, it's just awful. Like I'd be fine if it wasn't there. Yeah, honestly, like it, it, I mean, there's cute monster designs though. <laughs> they are really cute monster designs, but at some point I'm just like just get rid of it. Like I dislike the the combat so much that I it was a burden. It was mm. something I did not actively want to engage in, and that's that's kind of a serious shame. But that's that's all I can really say about it. And I wonder how differently I'd feel about the game if it didn't have combat. To me, it sort of seems like a a part of Dragon Quest's DNA that you just can't separate out. So I'm not entirely sure if I would like that yeah. if they took it out or not. But I, I I'd be okay. they just handled it differently. Yeah, Maybe. I think they, yeah. they they there are a couple hints at cool things they could have done. Like eventually you'll get ice bullets and fire bullets, and those hurt you know ice and fire monsters respectively, and that's really cool. I like the idea of like putting down a a brick on the ground when an enemy's charging at you, and like they slam into that, and then you can attack them. They needed to do more of that, and instead, like especially chapter three, they just end up giving the enemies like massive hit points, and you will want to kill yourself. Like it's just not fun. Mm-hmm. But the building stuff is really fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it reminds me of the best parts of games, like 
of like dark, I get kind of a dark cloudy vibe at times because it's sort of, yeah. you have to complete towns within a certain framework, but you still have the freedom to mess around with it and, mm -hmm. and tweak it to suit your own uh, design sensibilities. I get some of that. I get some like, you know, Animal Crossing, um, Sims almost with, like in chapter two, you have to heal people who are sick, but yeah. it's, it's not that involved. It's just like, you have to get the thing that they're asking for. So uh, yeah, it's it surprises me that so many kind of layers go into that game and it works as well as it does. And it, it just feels kind of, to me, it feels kind of clean. Like it just seems well-designed and there's not a lot of unnecessary stuff happening. Like if you want to add certain decorations, you can, but you don't have to. Um, the bosses, I do agree though. I've only fought the first boss, but I just felt like it was kind of a pain. And it's like something that they were fighting to make work within a system that doesn't work with it. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I, again, I really want to see a sequel, and apparently it sold very well, especially in Japan. So I think we will get another game. I just, you know, make with the good. Like, do the things that that game did well, focus on that stuff, and I think you could have something really, really special. Um, but I, I think I was a little bit harsher on that game than a lot of people. Um but I, I, I like to play it all the way through and give a really complete assessment. Yeah, I, I th you know, GameSpot never actually reviewed it, which I found interesting. Like they, they full on never reviewed Dragon Quest Builders, and I, I had a really hard time finishing that game. Like the last chapter was good, but chapter three was so bad I didn't want to play it. When I don't want to play a game, that kind of tells me something about it. Like that. That that's kind of the the most damning thing for me as a gamer. But uh, I guess the only other game that really stands out in my mind, and I I, I have to mention it because I don't think anybody else will, because it had been in early access for so long. I really like Darkest Dungeon, but that game turned into a really nasty grind at the end. It it really it upset me, like how uh, it it became so rote and so just nasty that. You know that that's part of the appeal of that game is like you know you're you're playing this really badass dungeon crawler, but it started to become like okay you have to level your characters up to a maximum level so they can go into the darkest dungeon, then they will complete the darkest dungeon and you have to retire them and it just hmm. it, it took everything out of that game and turned it into a grind and that really bummed me out that that really really bummed me out. Uh, I love I that game. I actually just got it yesterday. It, it's fantastic for the first couple hours. It really oh, is. Boy. I, I don't know if I should be having party wipes at the very beginning, but that's what's, uh, happening. that's what's happening to me. It's very easy to have party wipes at the very beginning. Very, very easy. Yeah. Uh, it, it's a great game in so many ways, but it's also like, it's so punishing and annoying at times that, you know, it won't surprise me if if you don't stick with it. I remember you recommending it to me, and I um, I also picked it up just a couple of weeks ago. It was on sale on PSN. And uh, I played it probably for two or so hours, and I thought it was interesting, but then my, my boyfriend really, really got into it, and he's about like 20 hours into it since. So I've, I've seen a lot of it be played mm -hmm. and heard a lot of shouting uh, from mm -hmm. the other room, and he's like, damn it! Not again. So <laughs> there, there are some moments that are just like really really nasty like one boss uh, a boss that actually turned me off on the game for like a month it, it was one of those moments where like i didn't realize how screwed i was until i got to the boss like i had a party that was basically like you should not be playing this boss with this party and that really bummed me out like 
I don't want to be punished for the way I'm playing a game. And that's kind of what they did. And, you know, I, I don't know how you fix that. I don't know how you fix a game that's built around permadeath to not feel like a grind, but, you know, they, they just well, kind of lost a legacy. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I, you know, and that's what we talked about before with uh Sheeran the Wanderer, like trying to play that DS version is not fun because that is really grind heavy. And then you realize, wow, a lot of those improvements that they made to the Vita version, that was important stuff. Like without that, I don't think I would have liked that game that much. Yeah. I, for me, the kind of games that revolve around permadeath or have punishing mechanics like that need to have some, because if you can't control the kind of macro, or sorry, the micro level, um, I don't know why this is like a term that keeps coming up for me, but if you can't, really exercise complete control over micro-level stuff like individual party members um, because if they die, you lose them, then you should be able to exert control over the macro-level stuff. Like, okay, well, the next person who comes to my town will always have this permanent bonus because I unlocked it at some point. Sort of like the Rogue Legacy approach um, yeah. with people inheriting stuff or you you upgrading your castle to have um, better base stats or whatever to give advantages to subsequent um, characters. And I know the Darkest Dungeon has some of that, but maybe... I don't know, maybe needed more, but uh, that may have removed some of the challenge, and perhaps that's not the direction they wanted to take the game in. So, Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. And, and I think, you know, I, I, I am not trying to get us to... Uh, I, I'm not trying to get Robert to talk about Dark Souls 3, but I'm kind of setting him up here a little bit. For as, for as punishing as those games are, you don't actually lose a lot when you die, and that's kind of important. And I, I think that that's, that's one of those things that uh, people don't realize with the, the Dark Souls games. So, you know, Robert, I've set you up to talk about Dark Souls 3 unless you don't want to talk about it. And I, I apologize. I wasn't trying to do that to you, but it's... Oh, it's, I'm happy to talk about Dark Souls 3. Um, yeah, I know that Dark Souls 3 has... It's had a very mixed reception, hasn't it? Uh, a lot of people have criticized it for being too referential to Dark Souls 1 in particular and a little bit of Demon Souls. I don't know if you felt that way, Rob? A, a little bit. Um, you know, I, I thought that was one of the things that Dark Souls 2 actually did fairly well was try to distinguish itself. But yeah. I also understand why they went back to the well with Dark Souls 3. Like, it makes sense to me. I think um, it was an interesting way to cap off the series if this yeah. is, you know, indeed the end as they're promising it to be. It's one of those moments where if this is the last game, I'm okay with it. Yeah. If they then just come out with another one, mm, nah, I'm a little annoyed with you guys. Yeah, I'm going to be pissed if, if they just bring out Dark Souls 4 next year. Yeah, and and I don't think so. I mean, From Software has been pretty quiet lately, and I, I, that makes me happy and also excited to see what they do next. Um, I thought Dark Souls 3 was probably the best playing game that they've made. Um, I would it, agree. It didn't have the the lows of Dark Souls 1, <clears throat> Blight Town, and uh, it also didn't have the highs of Dark Souls 1. So it just kind of, it was a smoother experience. It was very fun. It's probably the game I would recommend to people who want to play a Souls game for the first time. It's probably the game I would recommend to them first. As we uh, Yeah, sounds. it is the most accessible, I would say. Yeah. And I, I think that, you know, Bloodborne is still my baby. Like, that that's my favorite game that they've made. But that's also, like, the art aesthetics. You know, that that's everything coming together in that game. Uh, but Dark Souls 3 takes a little bit of Bloodborne and some of its opening level design in particular. I think mm-hmm. that game starts very strong and ends very strong, but the middle is kind of take it or leave it. Like Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, I mean... It feels like a lot of filler. 
Uh, yeah, I don't know really. I mean, there were some segments that I really liked. Um, you know, I I really liked the cathedral, uh, and I liked the forest uh, leading you up. Like the cathedral, you are I love so the you are so wrong. <laughs> well, I know, hate I'm, that cathedral. <laughs> it's punishing as all hell, but um, I found it be very enjoyable it really you know it kind of also had that bloodborne feel of like you know forbidden forbidden religious teachings which really worked on me aesthetically but i mean like you know as for somebody who's wrong i mean like blight town is one of my favorite areas in that first <laughs> game so well i i think i really like the idea of the cathedral but a lot of the bonfires don't make sense and the shortcuts don't make sense so i'm talking about it mechanically mm. i was very confused in that area and i ended up I had finished the area and I didn't realize it because okay. I was like, I was like, do I need to go to through this giant? Like they make this kind of big deal of, you know, don't screw with the giants or they'll mess you up. Now, I got stuck with him for a while. I thought, you were yeah. And, and it was just like, oh, okay. I just kind of need to run around him. Oh, all right. Like, I don't know that that level to me felt like probably the worst level they've designed. Cause I, I was very confused oh. by the middle point of it. Like, and not in that, like, Oh, I'm lost and I need to find my way out. It was more of a, like, I'm just annoyed with this. Like, I don't know what I'm missing. And I don't know, but that, that's very like, you know, one person loves it. One person hates it, but yeah, some bosses were real standout. Like I, I enjoyed a couple of the boss fights, but a lot of them, like, I ended up killing them before they even got to their second form. Like before yeah. they even before they even had a chance to do anything cool, I just kind of murdered them. I like that guy that you hated, um, the big skeleton with the bangles that you have to break off. I hate you. Like like <laughs> like you liked him? Yeah, it was fun. <laughs> like you liked the fact that sometimes you just couldn't attack the skeletons. Like sometimes you just couldn't damage them. Like you thought uh... that was okay. I didn't have a problem with that, actually. I think I got the short end of this because I got the glitchiest fight out of it. At one one of the times, you were playing he, on PC, weren't you? Yeah, and there were moments where like I couldn't damage the skeletons, and then there was a moment where he just charged forward three times and then spat his like abyss juice all over the place and killed me. That like, happened I, my first time through, and then I like, was really scared to challenge him again, and then I just managed to beat him before he did that. Yeah, but like I couldn't fight him. I was just like, uh, you didn't even give me a chance. He's he's one of those bosses that, like, if he behaves, if he, uh, for lack of a better term, like, if he doesn't do the really obnoxious attacks over and over again, like, the mm. constantly lifting his sword hand into the air so you can't fight him, like, if he doesn't yeah. do that stuff, he's very easy. But if he does that constantly, you can't beat him. Mm. Like, oof. Now I don't want to play any more Dark... I was thinking about playing Dark Souls 3 again, <laughs> and now I'm like, nope. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that I don't know if I'm going to want to return to. Um, but, you know, really, I feel the same way that you do, is in that it's mechanically very strong. I mean, you can see that they've learned a lot of lessons from Bloodborne, uh, not just um, visually, but, you know, definitely mechanically. You you can be as agile as you want, uh, which is kind of a first for uh, mainline souls. Um, and... You know, I didn't really, you know, I, I didn't mind the referential bits. I mean, some of it, you know, like the demon ruins, I felt was a kind of weak and meaningless callback. But some other things really worked on me. Some things that were, you know, spoilers and I can't mention. Um, and also some of the um, some of the enemy designs, I felt, you know, that that reference demon souls were actually pretty appropriate. Like those uh -huh. uh, those those 
fat uh, fat religious ladies with the the evangelists. Oh yeah, 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 Bibles. yeah. And you know their their outfits are callbacks to the fat controllers of demon souls, but the context that they're in the world of like spreading this spreading this wicked religion to these inbred people in the outskirts of this kingdom to you know try and twist it to the church's benefit it really worked on me so you know thematically i found everything pretty interesting it just you know as you said it just didn't have those high highs and intrigue that dark souls one had Mm -hmm. or bloodborne for that matter and did you like how the demon ruins just kind of ended like like that there was nothing to get down there it was just like this area like like this area. I thought when the first DLC was announced, maybe it'll be for the second DLC, but I was like for sure that that's where the DLC was going to start. Like, because mm-hmm. that area just doesn't feel complete. That That is just an area that yeah. you're just, like, Derek, you're just going through rooms and then you just get to a room and it's like, well, I have nowhere else to go. And that's it. That's it? Like, it, it it's feels It's a bit of an effort to get down there, too. <laughs> It was bad. Like, but but again, I think that game has a lot going for it, and it was fun. But uh-huh. you know, I, I want new from from software. I don't I want to see those mechanical lessons put in, you know, yeah, a new setting with some new twists. Yeah, yeah. So you know, it was good. It was good. It was better than I gave it credit for. But you know, I I think. You know, the reaction was mixed. I think people are now a little down on it, where they were really high on it initially. But then again, that's kind of what happened with Dark Souls 2, isn't it? Like, people love that game when it came out, and then all of a sudden everybody was like, nah. Mm, I don't know. I've I've kind of heard a lot of people talking a lot of sugar about Dark Souls 2 lately. So I think the opinion may have changed again. I I like Dark Souls 2, but I I think the boss design is a little lame, but I kind of like how it was willing to do its own thing. Like, Hmm. I think think those three games are kind of interesting in their own ways, so. We should should stop talking about Dark Souls before somebody gets (laughs) mad at us. Dark Souls, huh? Not not saying Derek, Derek, that wasn't saying you. That's saying, you know, some of our listeners who get a little pissy if I bring up the Dark Souls. Tune in next week for the uh, new Dark Souls podcast. Yes. uh, Way to knock us down from three listeners to two. uh, (laughs) I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Derek, what else did you like this year? Uh, I liked a lot of stuff. You know, a game I didn't expect to like at all was Tokyo Mirage Sessions. Yeah! I thought that game was going to be a pile of crap, honestly. I, <laughs> I, I've said so when we had our discussion earlier, but I, I honestly thought it was just going to be the shallowest, most sort of tropey anime fan service schlock. Uh, but it turns out that game has really endearing characters and the most outrageously good production values I've seen outside of the Persona series. Like, it's probably the best looking or best designed game in terms of user interface I've seen since Persona 4. Um, or at least it totally meshes with my tastes. Like, damn, that game is just brimming with character and personality and life. Uh, and the music, like, I I was an unabashed fan of um, J-pop in my early teens especially. And I still like J-pop, but it's no longer, like, the only thing on my uh, listening device of choice as it used to be. You should see my CD, my old CD wallets that I had in my car. It was just, like, video game soundtracks and anime. Uh, could, could you just sing? Thing. Could you sing all of Cruel Angel's thesis at a moment's notice? <laughs> I, could, I could sing a lot of it. I uh, knew it! Yeah, uh, I still love that song. I know, but, we all do. We all do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but, uh, you know, it's weird. Um, and Tokyo Mara Sessions had that effect not just on me, but on the people around me. Um, I was playing it 
in front of friends who had no experience with either Fire Emblem or Shin Megami Tensei and weren't necessarily big anime fans, but they were like, whoa, this game is so colorful. Like, what the hell is that? What are those flashy moves? And um, I remember beating the game, and when you beat it, you you can access a like a CG, or not a CG, a movie viewer. You have to actually start a new game plus and then get far enough into the game to go to, like, the hub office, and then you can re-watch all of the cutscenes throughout the game. I'm sitting there with, like, five or six friends at one in the morning on a weekend night, and uh, they're like, dude, let's watch them all. Just watch it. Keep going. This is so cool. So we just watched all the little music videos in turn, and everybody was totally into it. I don't, I don't know what it is about this game that has this sort of transcendent appeal but um, it makes it makes J-pop really fun, I think, and accessible. And um, it's just it's an upbeat game, and it's not perfect. But I I really had a great time with it, and I think it defied a lot of people's expectations from some of the reactions I saw on the web. Kind of hope that that gets uh, some kind of port to the Nintendo Switch because I would really like to play it. I'm not yep. buying a Wii U for it. Like that just ain't happening. <laughs> yeah, I. It has the whole text message thing in game, which is one of the few uses of the Wii U gamepad I've been really happy with. Hmm. I just don't like having to hold on to that massive yeah. thing. Uh, you, you mentioned because this was a you know supposed dual project with uh, with Fire Emblem. I'm kind of surprised at how little I've been hearing about the new Fire Emblems this year when it comes to like reading other websites, Game of the Year awards, and retrospectives. Did everybody forget that Fire Emblem oh, came no. out this year? Oh no, no, I didn't. Oh, forget. I didn't forget. I've said since day, like, well, not day one, but since I since I played that right after release, that I think those games are incredibly weak. I think really? Like some, some of the weakest Fire Emblems to come out. Yes. Uh, okay. the, do tell a little bit here, because you know, I I liked Fire Emblem Awakening, but I got so incredibly frustrated with it because it was either way too easy oh. or way too hard. Awakening like, is a much better game than these were. Okay. Okay. That, yeah. Give me. Give me a little. You know. Take me. Take me through it. Tell, tell me the tales of the shepherd. Like, explain this to me. Go ahead, Robert. Uh. Well, I've only played Conquest, um, which I played for review. Um. And, I mean. Oh, I don't know. I mean, Fire Emblem stories have never been the bomb, but I mean, I found it's especially um, trite and um, unlikable this time around, but just gameplay wise, I mean, it just, you know, it, it didn't, it didn't do a lot for me in the same way that awakening seemed to kind of revolutionize that formula. Um, I know that conquest was meant to be more of a throwback to like the, the harder earlier games in the series, but um, it felt like, you know, it, instead of really presenting a um, a real uh, thoughtful challenge, it just kind of seemed like they were enforcing arbitrary uh, limitations and uh, conditions on you uh, that, you know, would just make you fail when a certain number of turns elapsed or... Uh, oh, you're talking you about know, Conquest, you said, right? Yeah, I've only played Conquest. Okay. It's funny because the the general reception seems to be more positive towards conquest because people like the variety of mission objectives beyond just you know kill mm. kill all the enemy units. Um, and I I had some frustrations with the the battles in that game too, but that wasn't for me. That was just sort of like it was just exacerbated by a a plot and characters I didn't like. So that um, was the main thing for me. Yeah, uh, I think conquest in per- I mean conquest in particular 
it's supposed to be this game with it's got a really interesting premise and the idea is that you're basically playing the bad guys so you're playing a fire emblem game where you're you're having to do horrific things on behalf of the sort of villainous empire but but ideally or ultimately you want to change it from within you want to beat beat the evil by sort of cooperating up to the point where you have to um while also making changes and I think it's in theory. Yeah, but I think it falls utterly flat because the problem is is the writing. So hmm. the game has all of these characters that they they want to sell you on very quickly and they want you to be able to pair them off into these relationships by sort of exaggerating each of their one or two character traits so so fast and so enormously that it's like okay, I get it. This is the guy who I mean from Awakening an example is like this is the guy who likes lollipops and he's a thief. Okay, that's his entire character. And there's, of course, a little bit more to it than that, but uh, Conquest, well, this this entire new series does the same thing with these characters that don't actually have much personality despite how quickly they seem to come on and have them. Um, There's just not much below the surface. And the biggest problem is that Conquest for me is a game... the, The problem I have with Conquest is that it's a game that's supposed to be talking about the atrocities of war and sort of being subversive by making you perpetuate some of those atrocities for the sake of the greater good. And yet death is not treated with any gravity. Like uh. it, it's just sort of like, Oh no, how horrific the village is being slaughtered. And then they immediately move on. It's like you get like two lines anytime some major event happens. And sometimes characters die without really any buildup or um, it's like, I don't have time to get attached because they're not well written enough. And I also don't feel like, it's also totally goddamn absurd that the characters on the conquest side think that their father isn't just an evil tyrant. Like, <laughs> are you just like, looking oh, no. for Skeletor, and it's just like, oh, whatever you say, Dad. It's it's like in Sword of Mana where the characters are ruminating over whether Dark Lord is truly evil. Oh God, you know the character. The, guy, the guy's name is Dark Lord. Yeah. Well, I mean, Derek, if you're looking for uh, nuance and people dealing with death, there's a little game called Tactics Ogre. Let us cling together. Oh, yeah. well, Tactics Ogre is fantastic. Yes, it is. Oh, yeah. uh, and and to go back to Robert's point a little bit about the the arbitrariness of some of the gameplay, like you know, I pushed really hard for us to cover XCOM 2 because they put so many new RPG mechanics in it. And I played like three hours of XCOM 2, and I just said, I can't play any more of this. Like, <laughs> it, it is honest to God, like, they forgot everything good about what they did in XCOM, and they decided, you know what every mission means? We need to have a term limit. We need to, you need to finish this, this mission in nine turns. And it's mm-hmm. like, so now you've just made a super stressful game about precision movements and permadeath, and you've added a clock to it. And, and I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that. And like that, that happened to me with Fire Emblem Awakening when I, I pumped the difficulty up because normal was just so piss easy. Like I was just steamrolling this game. I pumped the difficulty up and then I got to a mission where like all of a sudden reinforcements came from behind and slaughtered two of my, two of my dudes and I would have had to restart the mission. And I was like, well, how was I supposed to know that was coming? Like, I'm not going to play any more of this. And it's just over and over again, Tactics Ogre and Final Fantasy Tactics got this right by giving you the ability to unscrew a situation. Like, you don't... If somebody dies in Tactics Ogre, they have three lives. So if you lose them in a mission, if you're not able to revive them, 
you can still keep them around. Like they, it, it's two more times before you lose them. And I, I think that, you know, Fire Emblem did so much to kind of move forward a little bit with Awakening, but it, it kind of feels like they forgot what people liked about Awakening, if that makes sense. Hmm. Well, they do have options. Um, I couldn't ever really settle on a difficulty option that I really liked in Fire Emblem, which is weird, the most recent Fire Emblems. Uh, Fates. I keep I kept forgetting the, the umbrella name for that series. Fates. Mm-hmm. I keep uh, I couldn't really find a, a difficulty option I like because it's either permadeath, which I find very stressful, and I've dealt with in past Fire Emblem games. But I was like, okay, um, I can have permadeath on, but maybe make it a little bit easier, and then I just sort of steamroll without any challenge. And then if you have permadeath off, it's just kind of like brute force everything. There's no need for strategy. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah. I I just find that the game is kind of it seesaws between the two extremes depending on which setting you choose, and there isn't really a happy medium for me, but that's just, like, a personal thing. I, I think that's, a lot of people were happy with it. That's how I felt about Awakening, and, you know, I've, I've said it many times on this show, but, like, everybody talks about how, oh, oh you should play Fire Emblem with Permadeath on, and I'm like, yeah, but then yeah. that also that also means that then you should kind of keep moving forward if you lose a character. What's the point in restarting a mission ten times to make sure that all your people survive? Like, you're just making the game take longer. Like, turn permadeath off if you're going to play like that. Like, I, I kind of like the idea of rolling with the punches. I've tried to do that more, especially in my role-playing games lately. Like, I make a decision, and it doesn't turn out the way I want it to. I, instead of reloading a save, I kind of just like, all right, I made that decision. I did that with Witcher. I did that with Fallout 4. And I've, engine, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've kind of really enjoyed that, but then there has to be a level of fairness to it as well. Like, and I, I think Darkest Dungeon crossed that line a little bit, and uh, I think that uh, Fire Emblem Awakening, for me, really started to cross that line. Yeah. I think ultimately what it boils down to for me is I just think that Fates has a really bad story that it tries to pass off as something super profound. Oh, boy. <laughs> and it's just not good. You know, noticing Conquest, that, you know, despite you being on, you know, the evil side, like, your hands are completely clean, uh, throughout, you never actually do anything bad, uh, and also your your protagonist is just an idiot as well. Yeah. Um, you know, er, early on, um, your emperor dad sends uh, sends a henchman to accompany you to this village, and it's like, oh, this guy isn't evil with his bald head and his evil eyes, and he ends up killing everybody and throwing you off a ravine. Um, and this isn't a spoiler. This happens like right at the beginning of the game. And then, uh, later you, you run into him again and he's like, Oh, sorry about that. Let's go on a mission again. And, and you do that and you're like, <laughs> well, maybe he won't kill everybody this time. And yeah, that's exactly what he does. So it's so, the doctor, it's the Dr. Smith from lost in space argument. Well, yeah, you've tried, kinda. you've tried to murder my family three times this week, but I'm going <laughs> to let you go, uh, hang out with my son in the woods over there. Like this scene did like say he was sorry. Yeah, well, you know, that that, that kind of turned it all around right there. So, And that's a shame because everybody was so big into the story in Awakening. So, like, people really liked those relationships. And, yeah, I think the characters were a little shallow at times, but they were that fun kind of shallow. At least I felt that, like, where I could kind of deal with it. And I think so. the same about both. Yeah. I, I was the same about Awakening as it was with Fates in terms of writing and characterization. I've just I've said before that I just think it also... It, it's like a Saturday morning cartoon. There's no depth at all. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I, I think it's actually kind of, I don't know what word I'm looking for. I, uh, false. It's like falsifying 
the game's brilliance by trying to project all of this depth onto it that isn't there. Because I think a lot of people have tried to do that since it came out. And I've, I've seen it appear on some uh, Game of the Year lists and stuff. And I just, I, I think people are spinning uh, their own imaginary tale about what that game did and didn't do, which is, mm-hmm. I know sounds harsh, I think, but um, that's one of those games where I feel like when I was playing it, I was just looking around at everybody else, like, what the hell are we playing the same game? Which doesn't, I'm not trying to sound like, Oh, I was a special snowflake and I saw the truth all along, but I just did not seem to jive with the majority on that one. And I guess mm-hmm. Robert didn't either. Mm. That's kind of how I felt about uh, a DLC that was released this year, uh, Witcher three blood and wine, which I actually found it to be some of the weakest Witcher writing. Like I was kind of astounded by it. I mean, they come right out and tell you what you should do. They're like, this is the good solution. And then eventually they come out and go, nah, seriously, this is the good solution. This is what you should be doing instead of this. <laughs> and that, that was really disappointing for me. Cause I was like, you know, the Witcher is supposed to be this kind of, everything is gray. And no matter what you do, you're kind of screwed. There's only so much you can do to fix these people's lives. But there is a very good and a very bad ending to Blood and Wine. And then to go a step further, the the villain's motivations are so terrible. Yo, I don't want to be hunted down because I'm a vampire. So because I'm pissed off, I'm going to have all my vampire buddies try to wipe out this town. So they won't try to wipe us out. What? Like, it just... That's a very, like, 80s anime kind of <laughs> plot device. Yeah, it reminds it, me of, like, Valis 3 on, on Genesis. Yeah, I was really... And, and I think I was also really done with Witcher 3 at that point. You know, I, I, I'm not going to pick on that gameplay right now. Like, you know, I think to each his own. Some people enjoy it, some people don't. Um, but I also felt like the improvements to that game, from a gameplay perspective, they kind of broke it. Like they, they they give you an actual nuke. Like you your your ard spell, your force push spell, insta kills enemies at a certain point in the game, and it's almost like they're just saying, "Nah, screw it. You, you don't want to fight these guys anymore. Just blow them away." And like at, at that point, the game just became tired for me, and the final boss fight was just a three stage slog with no checkpoint in between, and you know the boss could kill you if they hit you twice, and it was just. I don't know. I, I, I know a lot of people really liked Blood and Wine, but I, I was kind of, and, and I'm doing the same thing Derek did just a second ago. Like, I'm not saying I'm right and everybody else is wrong. I was just a little surprised that there wasn't any more critical analysis of that game. Like, I, I felt the writing was probably the worst considering how good Witcher 3's writing was overall. And I, I didn't play Hearts of Stone, which everybody has talked up quite a bit, but I, I found Blood and Wine to be very underwhelming. It was more Witcher when we didn't need more Witcher. Like, the last thing that game needed was another 15 hours. Mm-hmm. You know, this brings to mind an idea, and I haven't fully developed it here, so bear with me, but th- I think there's it. something to be said about, um, in the case of both of the games we just discussed, The Witcher 3 and Fire Emblem Fates, they're, or rather, Blood and Wine and Fire Emblem Fates, they were both preceded by other games in their series that these were sort of building upon, either by being a sequel or by being an expansion. And I have to wonder if some of the feelings people have about the original games get pushed into their analyses of the the, the follow-ups. Because when you say that the Blood and Wine didn't have as sharp of writing, but, you know, it's still kind of the core of what you're experienced, I have to wonder how many people didn't really 
either didn't separate that out or didn't really take it into consideration. You know what I mean? Because they they might have just been like, okay, it's more Witcher three. I like Witcher three. My feelings remain sort of the same unless this drastically devolves into something else. Yeah, um, yeah. And I, so yeah, because I'm thinking like so many people like Fire Emblem Awakening, and then those same people seem to feel the same way about Fire Emblem Fate. So it's kind of like, are the are the changes too subtle for people to really? take into consideration when they're comparing those games mentally? I, I don't know. I've actually been thinking a lot about that, Derek, and uh, not to retread old ground that we've talked about on the past couple shows, uh, but, like, you know, I was pretty down on Mankind Divided when I played it at first because um, it did play so incrementally different from Human Revolution. It was the same game with a couple new things, and I... I was kind of like, yeah, I'm a little surprised that they didn't make a lot of improvements. And eventually I got into it and I started really enjoying it. And then on the other hand, there was, you know, my take on Dishonored 2, which I think Jim Sterling and I, I think we're the only ones in the world that agree on Dishonored 2. Like, I, we're the odd men out that are like, that game is very underwhelming. I really didn't like it. But I think the reason I didn't like it is some of the really good things in Dishonored, one of like the item placements and how careful you had to be, it felt like they kind of lost that a little bit with Dishonored 2. Like the key level design and putting the runes where they need to be and the bone charms where they need to be, it feels so much more haphazard that I'm not enjoying it as much. So yes, it's the same experience that I had before, but I'm not liking it. And now to to bring Robert into the conversation here because you know we're we're two Souls guys, I want to get your opinion on some of the Dark Souls uh, expansions and the Bloodborne expansion because, like, I hated the Dark Souls 2 expansions. I I despise them. I think that they are everything that's wrong with Dark Souls 2 ratcheted up to 11. Meanwhile, Artorius of the Abyss and the Old Hunters for Dark Souls and Bloodborne, respectively, those fixed problems with the main game, and they were enjoyable on their own. Like, you know, people's biggest complaint about Bloodborne was not enough variety in weaponry. They almost doubled the number of weapons with Old Hunters, and they gave you three of the best boss fights in the game. Like, not just these are fun boss fights. Three of the boss fights in the Old Hunters are the best in the entire game. Yeah, Maria is incredible. Maria is Maria is incredible. Ludwig is outstanding. And then Child of Cost, even though that dude is that dude created swear words in my house. I hated that guy. <laughs> he was but, too much for me. But that is an awesome fight. If you can get that fight down, that is the most satisfying Souls fight I ever had. And the reason why he's so good is because that second form is counter to everything you've been taught. You need to stay close to him for the entire fight. Yeah, it's hard to yeah. drill that in. You know? Yeah. It, but I agree, he's tough. But, like, you know, how did you feel about, like, the Dark Souls 2 DLC versus, like, I don't know if you played the Dark Souls 3 DLC, which I thought was pretty good, but kind of middling a little bit. Like, it was okay. I wanted to well, get your opinion on that. Fake gamer girl here. Uh, I haven't actually reached the Dark Souls 2 DLC yet. I, uh, I've i only really started digging into Scholar of the First Sin, uh, which I find a little bit overwhelming in places. Um mm-hmm. I've heard such mixed things about that DLC. Um, I've heard, you know, from both sides uh, of many sources that I trust, uh, yourself included, uh, some people absolutely hate them and say it's the worst the series has to offer, and others say it's, like, the the best Souls levels that they've ever played. So um, I look forward to actually reaching them and seeing 
how I feel about them. But I mean, I, I feel much the same as you about Artorias and, uh, and old hunters, especially, uh, really, really blew me away. Um, I haven't checked out the dark souls three DLC. And to be honest, I'm not really interested in doing so. I was kind of disappointed to see that it's the painted world again, but different. And I hear it does some, I hear it does some things, but like, I'm not jumping out of my seat to try it, you know? Yeah, it doesn't it, look like there's enough there, and from what I've heard, there isn't that much there. No, and but but I think Derek is really hitting on something here, where I think you know previous feelings about games can kind of color your impressions. Um, you know, sure. I think I think maybe a little bit of that happened with another game that you and I disagree with uh, a little bit, Robert, which was uh, Shin Megami Tensei Four Apocalypse. I was going to say, I think yeah. you can really apply Derek's arg- um, argument to to those two games. Yeah, I I really like that game for the differences that it had with Shin Megami Tensei 4 but I can also see how somebody would be very upset about those differences like you know the game is a little bit more friendship is magic and I think I put that in my review and in my game of the year write up but I like it for that but I can totally understand why you wouldn't I I totally get why you wouldn't like that I mean for me I think we see enough nowadays in uh, modern day persona and you know Devil Survivor and Tokyo Mirage Sessions. So I would like to see something that's maybe, you know, a little bit more uh, more philosophical and ambiguous. And I kind of felt like Mainline SMT was kind of the last bastion for that coming out of Atlas. And there was nothing really else like that. So to see to see SMT4 Apocalypse fall back on some of the same um, tropes and storytelling that the other branches of SMT uh, are using. I was a little bit taken aback with that. And that doesn't mean mm-hmm. that I didn't enjoy the game because what I have played, which is you know pretty much up to just before this dungeon that you keep telling me is <laughs> the worst thing in the world. Um, you know, it's, it's more SMT4 essentially with some uh, ease of use and quality of life improvements. And, you know, I got to say it is an excellent game. It ranks pretty highly for me this year, but, you know, I wouldn't say that I'm upset with the changes that they've made narratively, but, you know, just a little, mm, it's like oh, something that I really like is disappearing, you know, in front of my eyes. Do you want Nocturne 2? Is that kind of what you, I'm not oh, saying gosh. that's downplayed. I'm saying it's like, is that what you're looking for? Oh, gosh, I don't know. I mean, because all those guys are gone from Atlas now. So, I mean, you know, I don't want to be clinging to uh, nostalgic dreams that are, unrealistic um i don't know i don't know what i want really <laughs> it's it's difficult that's fair. that's fair i i really liked apocalypse but i think you know mm-hmm. in my ideal world they take the gameplay improvements of apocalypse put them into shin megami tensei 4 and then make it one game and get rid of those last two dungeons mm-hmm. and, and like you have something absolutely incredible sure i mean you know i was also a little bit disappointed to see that you know, it just down the line and, you know, it's essentially just kind of, you know, a, a full priced expansion rather than something really new. I don't know. I, I didn't feel that way about the myriad PS2 games that shared many, many assets, but I don't know. It just kind of seemed a little, maybe a little redundant, but no less enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think for for me, Shin Megami Tensei Four Apocalypse, maybe why I I wonder if I'm more forgiving because 
it, it rectified sort of structurally a problem that, or fundamentally a problem that I had, which is that Four's story was sort of underdeveloped, or its characters rather were underdeveloped. Yeah. Uh, and then Apocalypse just gives you so much more. So I was like, okay, good. This is what I wanted. Um, and I do wonder if I might think a little bit differently about it down the line if I, when I finally get around to beating it, if I sit back and think like, okay, maybe it was a little bit too generic or heavy handed in its storytelling. I don't know. But I see where you're coming from on that for sure. I, we don't have as many experiences like mainline Shin Megami Tensei anymore. It all is sort of shifting in hmm. the direction of Persona, which is something that I like, but I get that it, that we want to have different experiences too. And, and you brought up uh, Devil Survivor just a second ago, and I just want to ask you guys, am I wrong in not really liking Devil Survivor? Am, am I wrong? Like, I, uh, I, I found it so slow. Like, so slow. And I just... And some of the missions where it was like, I can't let anyone die, like... Uh, I think 2 is kind of cute for the... It's basically like Evangelion RPG. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. You you just you swung me right back in. It is just Evangelion wholesale. It completely just Evangelion. Yeah. Yeah. Like like every day, there's a different alien invader, which is basically an angel. They all have these weird, otherworldly, sort of sort of like geometric shape designs that are so unsettling because they don't have faces or features. But is there a cute Japanese German redhead that's going to yell at me all the time? Uh, Are there any redheads? There are definitely Japanese Uh, girls who will yell at you a lot. Okay. Cosplayer, or was that the first game? That was the I can't first remember. One. Some, some of those games, awful. some of those characters, kind of run together. Yeah. I just, I need to have my Oscar, okay? I, I need, I need to, I need to be yelled at. Like and that's here's where we see uh, the formative experiences of Robert Simon. <laughs> <laughs> I did watch Evangelion when I was in like middle school, so I think that kind of colored my impression of like healthy relationships in a not so good way. Oh, um, Shinji, please don't do that over Asuka. No, please. Yeah, no, please. That please. I did, did mind. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, I, I, I'm kind of excited not, not to shift over to the 2017 talk already, but like, you know, seeing that those guys at Atlas, those guys and gals are going to do something completely new. I'm really excited. Like, oh, they, yeah. they, a new fantasy that, RPG project. Yeah, I think that could be really, really cool. You know, we haven't gotten something outside of Shin Megami Tensei from them for a long time. And, you know, I, I think that that art design was already enticing. Like, mm-hmm. okay, I want to see what you guys do here. So, uh, but yeah, Apocalypse is weird. It, it is a game that I, I should have absolutely loved, and it should have been my game of the year. But, man, when you guys get to those dungeons, just, oh, my good God. Well, I mean, I, I expected it to be my game of the year as well. And... Uh, yeah, as you may have guessed, it's not, but it's probably, you know, if I had to make a top 10 as opposed to a top five, it would definitely be in there. Yeah. Well, one game that didn't end up on our, uh, top five of the year and Robert, you stole my thunder on your write up. So I didn't actually do it. I thought you gave it justice. Uh, zero time dilemma. Wow. Oh Oh, man. I just, I was almost going to put it down as my disappointment of the year, but I, I, I had to go with Dishonored 2. Um, but, like, man, Zero Time Dilemma. Like, you do so many things right, and yet so many other things so wrong. Like, e. <laughs> that's That's one game that I feel like I'm shifting a little bit more towards the negative the more yeah. I sit on it and think I about think it. I think I am, um, too, yeah. Which... Uh, May or may not be fair, you know, because I think we have a tendency to, I mean, in general, I think human beings um, sort of let all of their 
memories or experiences of a particular thing coalesce and um you know we don't remember the individual moments as much sometimes so when i think back on the game it's been you know a couple months since we played it and i think back and i'm just like what were the really great moments i can't remember and i'm just left with this lingering sort of disappointment um yeah so, so i can't say whether or not how how fair it is to to really hate on it super hard but there were some pretty glaring problems and i think one of the biggest ones that i have uh expressed my disappointment with from the very beginning were the the sort of weird camera framing and character models oh gosh it looked worse than the last it's, game it yeah super bad yeah that was ultra distracting to watch like junpei walk through a desk or something like anytime any action happens the camera just pans to the ceiling so yeah it's lights (laughs) and it's all dutch angles constantly so i feel like i'm watching battlefield earth and like i can't get over that and then the you know without going into spoiler territory but the fact that they use that to hide a plot twist that was so bad like so like so bad to the point that i thought they were going to come up with a reason why it was that bad you know what I mean? Like, they, they were going to explain it with something, but I was like, seriously? Like, you are all either the dumbest cast of characters I have ever seen, or this was just contrived writing for the sake of being contrived. And that it, that sucked me out of the game. Like, that final mm. reveal, I just said enough's enough. Like, that, that was supposed to be the moment where this game, like, stuck the landing and really got you, like, invested in everything you had just experienced, and it just turned me the hell off. It, it was the, uh, <clears throat> it was kind of the interstellar moment where like, you, you know, you're getting up to a plot twist. That's either going to make or break the movie, the game, and this broke it. Mm. But I, mm. also, how about, I um, no spoilers, but how about um, when you finally find out who Phi is? Yeah, that was a little, Oh man. I think I'm okay with that. I think I'm okay with that. <laughs> I think I was a little underwhelmed, ultimately. Um, I, I well, like they kind of retcon something to make that happen as well. Yeah, but. I like that they put it, that they, they tied that loose end up, but it, they didn't tie it up in, in a way that I liked. Hmm. I, I, I didn't like... I didn't like the puzzle rooms that much. Like, And I was feeling... You're okay. I, I was feeling burnt out. Uh, I, I got about halfway through Virtue's Last Reward, and I said, like, enough is enough with these damn puzzle rooms. Like, I'm kind of feeling that way. I just I just got The Witness, and I'm playing that. And when The Witness is giving you, like, language in puzzles, I really like it. But when it's just a perspective puzzle and I need to be standing in the right spot to see the solution, I, I want to throw something at Jonathan Blow. Like, I just want to punch him right in the throat. Like, he's getting on my list right now for, like, you keep doing this thing in your game that is not fun. And yeah, I really... And, uh, what's his name? Uh, Itagaki and David Cage. Yeah. Yeah, Itagaki, David Cage. And who's the kind of funny guy? Not Who's that guy? Uh, the, the guy who did the Final Fantasy XV and wrote for IGN, and I just... I hate him. Did oh, 15. God. He, he did that Final Fantasy XV reveal thing where they revealed the oh, release date. Oh, wait, not Greg Miller. Yes, I hate oh, that asshole. Oh, he's awful. I hate he's that awful. asshole. I don't think he's funny at all. Oh, no, gosh. You, you said kind of funny, so well, you let me astray there. Well, isn't that their website kind of funny? Oh! <laughs> yeah, that's why I said it. Yeah, no, I can see why there was confusion. I get it. I get no, I hate it. that asshole. I, I legit hate him. Like, your writing sucked at IGN, and guess what? You suck. Like, I, we're going to talk about video games! Whoa! Like, no. I the gauntlet's really, been thrown. 
Come at I, us, Greg. Well, the problem is he's like a foot and a half taller than me, so he probably could kick my ass legitimately. But like, yeah, I saw him at E3 and I was like, God damn it, he's like got 50 pounds on me and a foot and a half. God damn it. Like, he's a tall dude. But like, I, I what Jonathan Blow is doing with those puzzles to, to get back to the witness a little bit, he's doing some things that are so amazingly awesome, but then like, those perspective puzzles where you have to be standing in the right spot. It feels like I'm playing the game with mittens. Like a first person experience is not a good thing to be doing perspective based puzzles. Like in real life, I can easily crane my neck in such a way to get a good perspective. It's not fun to do it in a video game. And then like in zero time dilemma, I think we all got stuck on that one puzzle where you couldn't see the drain because it was just out of screen playing it on the Vita. Yes. Uh, When Steph told me to look down, like, I turned the Vita off. I was like, done, like that. I, you got to be. Hmm. I was looking around for 20 minutes. 20 I played on 3DS, minutes. and I didn't have that problem. I mean, although that game ran horribly on 3DS. I'm glad I got it for Vita. <laughs> yeah, it was awful. Yeah, I definitely had problems with that puzzle. I'm I'm excited that now they can do something different. Like now they've they've got the baggage clear. It's kind of like okay, you guys can do something new. You don't. It's kind of like the Kojima stuff. It's like now Kojima doesn't have to worry about Metal Gear anymore. He can well, do he's something. Just Metal new. Gear again though, isn't he really? Well, the the rumor is that Death Stranding is Shadow of the Colossus. So I don't I don't have any idea what the hell he's doing. And but he's got my boy crush Mads Mikkelsen, so I'm on board. Like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I want to see how that game plays before I really give into the hype. Oh, you don't want to buy a $2,000 statue for a game company that hasn't even released a game yet? Oh, my God. <laughs> you don't think that's a little presumptuous? And I'm pre- good. Yeah. No, yeah it's fascinating. I, I just I need to see what kind of game it is. I know. No, I, I this this whole cult of Kojima, I want... The dude hasn't made a game I enjoyed since 2004. There, I saw oh, it. You didn't like, uh, oh, you didn't like Revengeance, right? We, had, we talked about that. No, I did not. I you really didn't like that I, anyway. I, oh, I want to get... Okay. So oh, I want fun. I want to give that game another shot after playing okay. the uh, after playing the near demo, but I really didn't like the camera in it. I I really hmm. didn't like the camera in it. Um, and we'll we'll talk about near in a few minutes. But uh, no, I haven't liked a Kojima game since Metal Gear Solid Three. Hmm. So you didn't you didn't vibe with five? I vibed with the gameplay of five, but that game is not finished, yeah. and that game is very repetitive. Yeah. I love the gameplay. I love I the gameplay. It, it is the best playing stealth game I have ever played, but like hmm. it, there was no reason to play it. Like the scenarios were boring, yeah. the boss battles were atrocious, and the story was That's utter shit. Yeah, hmm. it, it's just it's not a finished game. I, I don't necessarily blame him for that, but that game is not finished. So, but this we're, we got to get back to hey, the just RPGs. like another game that came out this year that should have been way better than it was. Oh God, which one are you talking about? Fifteen? Yeah. <laughs> I still need to play more of it. I, I just, I haven't, I, I've been waiting on patches. I kind of want them to you patch You might be waiting game. a while. Yeah. yeah they're might. going to be recording new voice acting for these scenes that they're putting into the patches, so. Yeah, uh, maybe I should just uh, just do it, but I just, I don't know, a part of me really wants to wait. Uh, I think, you know, people who waited two months to play The Witcher 3 got a much better experience than I did with that game, so I'm kind of like, eh, how yeah. long can no, I wait? I kind of wish I could, you know, unplay it and then play the f- the full complete story when it's actually out once they've written it cuz clearly they haven't yet, so. Yeah, yeah. But at least we got it. And no, it came it, out. Yeah, we talked about it last episode. There are so many great ideas in that game that uh just sort of 
fall apart in that last uh, half. Last yeah. Year. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so sad. Well, maybe we'll get a director's cut, or we'll get Final Fantasy 15 too, and it will <laughs> oh, be all no. <laughs> the all bro trip all the time. That would be actually preferable to the way it goes down to IMO. But uh, another game before we move on to our 2017 stuff uh, that came out that I really liked was Pokemon Sun. We have yeah. talked about that a bit, but I, I just have to applaud Game Freak for reinvigorating that franchise. Um, it doesn't change the core of Pokemon. Pokemon is still very much the same, but they've done a lot to bring it into the the next generation. And I think if there's one thing the game is really lacking, it's a robust post-game. Uh, I think some of that is going to be fixed when the Pokemon bank opens up in January and we'll be able to start bringing in our old Pokemon. But as it is, I mean, um, you know, completing the Pokedex has always been a pretty significant post-game challenge. Mm-hmm. And... Um, not everybody does it, and understandably, because it's a big undertaking. But I know quite a few people who have completed their Alola Pokedexes because it's not—it's not hard. Um, okay. You basically just need—I mean, it's like going back to Red and Blue again. You just need one friend with the other version, and you can get the few Pokemon you're missing. And there's only like five, maybe a few more than that, uh, that are version exclusive. Nah, they're probably a little bit more than that, but it's—it's it's really not hard to complete. So besides completing your Pokedex at the the moment there's not really that much to do and it's not like Pokemon is a series where they can patch in new modes and stuff, or at least historically they haven't. So right now the only thing they really do besides completing your Pokedex is going to the battle tree, which is uh, sort of a gauntlet of, of hard fights that you can do. So it's, it's fun to continue raising your Pokemon or whatever, but it just, it feels a little thin compared to previous games that had literally 700 plus creatures to catch. And of course now, once you can use bank, then it's like, okay, let's add the Alola Pokemon, and we've got 800-something, or I have no idea what the total is now. Uh, it just, basically, it feels a little bit thinner, because I'm thinking of stuff like Pokemon Emerald, where they had the Battle Frontier, where they just had all these different ways to play, where you could go into all sorts of different battle setups and stuff, and I thought that was really interesting. Um, so, at this point, it falls to Nintendo to create online tournaments that have interesting rule sets, and to players to create their own community. So, uh, I I think it's a fantastic game. I just, I'm a little sad that I'm not hooked into the post game stuff because I beat it, and ever since I did the the a little mm. amount of post game story, I've just been like, meh, whatever. Mm. But I loved it while it lasted. I just want more reasons to play it. I guess. I feel like yeah, I might play I that know. this. I might play that this summer. Like, I, Dragon Quest Eight is on the horizon in just like three weeks, and I need to keep my schedule clear for that on a handheld. Is it that, but is it that soon? Oh my god! I know. Yeah. It's about time. I'm, I'm you gotta beat seven. Down with seven. Yeah. You gotta not, beat seven. It's not gonna happen. It's not Come on, you can do it. <laughs> no. 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 It's not gonna can't. happen before I start eight at the very least. Like I it, may beat it, but. Oh, eight is so good. But like, I, I kind of want to play Pokemon Sun or Moon. Like, I was. I really liked Pokemon when I was a kid, but I just, I couldn't keep up with it. But it feels like, this is kind of where I feel like Pokemon does a really good job of, like, you can jump back in with whenever. Whereas, like, I've always wanted to play the Yakuza games, and then I just stare at, like, the 14 different Yakuzas that I would have to play, and I'm just Play like, the latest yeah. one only. I'm like, but, but like, I'm going to miss all the story. Like, No, they put in all the cutscenes in, uh, in the options menu. So in case you didn't play those, you can look at all the most important parts. And which they which one did they do that Every single with? game. They did which that with the five? Yeah, they did. And so, that's the one 
Did I get that on PS Plus? I think I did. It was on PS Plus a couple months ago, okay, and that so is that it now. is the one until six comes out with Beat Takeshi throwing a baby next summer. Yes, Beat yes! Takeshi. <laughs> and uh, Zero comes out next month as well. It does. Yeah, it's true. Was five on PlayStation Three? I feel like yeah. It was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I bought. I got that on. I still haven't set up my PlayStation Three. We need to get the the bedroom squared away, and I need to build a new shelf up there, and then I can do that. But I bought that on PlayStation Plus when it was free, so I can play it at some point. I would like to play that game. That that game is just so quintessentially Japanese. Like the the first the very first mission in Yakuza Five is. Um, You've taken somebody else's uh, cab fare of a like a rival company, so you have to like buy a gift and go over to the cab firm to apologize. <laughs> is that just wow. fun? Is Yakuza just fun Shenmue? Because that's how I think people. Yes. That's how I think they need yeah. to build it. It's like Absolutely. this is fun Shenmue. It's Shenmue with random street battles. I like it. Oh yeah. So 2017. Uh, I guess the. The big one for me was Persona 5, but then a little game called uh, Nier Automata came uh, out of nowhere and was just like, you need to pay attention to me. And I was like, yes, yes, I will do that. But uh, let's start with Persona 5. Uh, April, dear God, uh, thank you for saving everybody from Valentine's Day and having serious problems with their significant others. Uh, <laughs> that that was a potential uh, train wreck waiting to happen. But uh I kind of like that, it again. I, I kind of like that the internet has not ruined Persona Five. It seems like everybody has kind of taken a vow of like no spoilers with that game. Like you're not saying these are the top five plot twists in Persona okay. Five. Like, uh, if you go to the wrong places, you will okay. find that. Okay. Uh, luckily, maybe, I've, maybe I've steered clear of it. But um, there is. I will break my damn computer monitor. I was able to I'll go to their house and break their damn computer. Well, monitor. I was able to steer clear of all that stuff when it came to Westworld, but like then you would read articles about how the internet is destroying Westworld, and I'm like, no, I'm actually having like, a really like easy time not having that show ruined. Like, I, I don't know. I think I feel like it's one of those things where it's like, if you're on Facebook and somebody puts up a post that's like ruining Game of Thrones without any warning, like, yeah, you couldn't do anything about that, but I'd like to think the major sites are doing a good job avoiding problems like that, but hmm. Persona 5 looks awesome. Dear God. Oh, yeah, it looks incredible. Just now. What else do you say? Now, please. Please, I now. was, uh, Robert, you may have seen me retweet that. The, just There were some musings that somebody left on Twitter about how, uh, Persona 5 is, even more so than its predecessors, really deeply rooted in the uh, political landscape of today's Japan. That is uh, very exciting to hear. Yeah, and so I'm interested to see how, how well that does, in fact, translate to a U.S. audience, because the, the person who was writing about it was saying that there may be some, some nuance lost. And they were they knew that people would say, like, oh, yeah, this is Japanese, but we can see it through a Western lens. Um, and he, mm-hmm. he wanted to... to see how well Atlas is going to sort of handle all of those concepts and if it's going to really commit to saying like, no, this, these are issues sort of unique to Japan that need to be appreciated as such and not yeah. just young people's problems in general or whatever. So mm-hmm. yeah, damn, I'm excited for Persona 5. <laughs> yep. What else is there to say? The game looks freaking incredible. And this I needs to come out. So I don't sad. even want the soundtrack. Like I always uh, look for game soundtracks when they release, even if it's before the game comes out here. Like I don't even want to see the track list, you guys. I don't even to, tell me. I, I want to hear that in context for the first time. Yeah. yeah. Me too. Uh, but I guess now we got to talk about the demo that came out uh, last week for Near. Uh, yeah. Holy crap! Oh, go ahead. Bayonetta RPG. Hmm. 
Bayonetta RPG. Yeah, and, and so I really, I, I've said it before on the show, I really didn't like Bayonetta. Um, I, I kind of had the same problem with it that I had with a couple of the Devil May Cry games where, like, the beginning part of that game is really fun because they give you fun enemies to fight. And then they stop giving you fun enemies to fight. They give you, like, just slogs and creatures that are, like, not responding to your attack. So you hit them two or three times, and then you got to dodge or something. Like, I I actually think the new Devil May Cry did a really good job of avoiding that, even if, you know, the enemies were kind of samey the whole way through. But that's neither here nor there. Um, but holy crap, Nier is awesome. And it also reminded me that every game needs to give you the option to remap all of the controls the way Nier does. <laughs> Uh, I've actually, I'm playing the game like Dark Souls. I put the uh, attack buttons on R1 and L1 so I can swing the camera around while I'm playing it, and I really like that. And I know that doesn't seem like a big deal to some people, but having camera control while you're attacking and moving is hugely important, and that goes back to Final Fantasy XV. I enjoyed that game way more when I changed control schemes. I was not liking that game at all until I was able to move the camera and attack or dodge at the same time. You know what that else here Automata does in terms of uh, convenience or accessibility is... Uh, I really like that they worked in a good narrative reason to give you control over your interface yep. because you're, you're playing as an Android, so you can choose which chips you want to put in to show yep. certain certain parts of the HUD. That's brilliant. Did Your game should let you do that. Like Because I remember Xenoblade lets you do that. It lets you re- remove the, the on-screen indicators for button prompts or like what you need to do when. And so depending on how familiar you are with the game, you can choose to, like, you can say, not, and, and your automata takes it a step further. You can not only say, okay, I don't feel like I need HP gauges because I know these enemies' health well enough. I know it's going to take this many hits. You can replace those slots with things like increased strength or whatever you want. So it, it actually rewards you for getting to know the game intimately, which I think yep. is super did cool. You, uh, did you remove the uh, operating system chip? <laughs> and it kills you. Yeah, it kills you instantly. Oh, I, I wow. did. I, I did think that that was a little convoluted when I first got to that screen. It was a it was a lot to take in at first, but I, I think it's one of those things like you'll get more used to it. The eight bit map design, I absolutely love how it's like this three D like voxel graphics. Something out of like three D dot game heroes for the map. Hmm. That that game is just brimming with style. I I really hope you know it. Derek said it in the pre show warm up. That game may go to hell in a handbasket, but right now I am so damn excited for it. Mm-hmm. Like, I need to know if there's going to be the PC version on day one, though. Like, I have a play- I have a regular PlayStation 4, and the frame rate was pretty good for the most part, but it did dip a little bit here and there, and that's one of the things I'm not happy about with this split console generation. I'm not a big fan of that, so I would much rather just get the game on my PC and just run it at a constant 60. Mm-hmm. But... Did um did you guys notice they brought back um they brought back the weapon stories from Drakengard? Yep, yep, saw that. Ah, that's brilliant. That game looks really good. That yeah. game looks that that shot to the top of my must have list right yeah, now. Yeah, me too. Oh me yeah, too. same. Yep. It plays I, really, really well. Did you guys find the music, obviously, I mean did you guys find the dodging to be maybe just a little floaty? Like, I couldn't tell if I just wasn't used to it, but there were some times where I really felt like I dodged and I, I got smacked. And no, it, it, it worked for me. I, I think it's maybe just I need to get used to it, but it feels really like it's got that kind of witch time effect where like yeah, you know, time slows down for an instant and you know that you're hitting things. Um, you know, the bullet hell parts work and the shooting in third person works. Like it's just, 
Whew. Whew. Yep. Good lord. And I just, I love how just disastrous that game looks. Like hmm. from a an art aesthetic, like I just love that really run down look. And the last boss of that demo was just like, this is ridiculous, but I love it. Like, I'm totally into this right now. This is, ah. It's very fitting for that world they've created and very true to the sort of design aesthetic that uh, Yoko Taro's games have had. I just hope they don't screw it up. A little part of me is nervous, like that that demo was just like all the good stuff, you know. Right, I wonder because I I had such low expectations for Nier, and I found Nier to be a really clunky game, but it pays off in terms of story. So I just wonder if this is going to be like... Have they learned, and will they rectify all of those issues, or will it still kind of have its own jank yeah. that you have to put up with to get to the good stuff? Well, but I mean, I mean if the devil's if, any if, indication. If Platinum are doing the nuts and bolts, and Yoko Taro is just able to concentrate on the uh, narrative, I mean, that seems the like weird. that's the yeah. ideal formula. I mean, I, f- I feel the same way as... Um, as our own Alana Hags, who uh, wrote up a preview of the demo that, you know, it's a little bit too early to tell if it's going to have that sort of um, kind of crushing melancholy that Nier had. Um, I really hope that it does, but I mean, it, it is pretty, pretty hard to gauge at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, that's, that's what I want out of it. I, I want it to be that kind of dour, you know, insane fourth wall breaking. Yeah. You know. Like have fun with it. Just, just go, nuts with this game like i'm just that is one of the best demos i've ever played like i have i have repeatedly played that demo and loved it like it and oh mu- we didn't even talk about the music yet guys yeah oh i said it i was humming it i was yeah. hum- like around the house i'm like doing the dishes and i'm humming it like, freaking great somebody uh, put up a youtube playlist of all of it that i've just had on no, I'm I'm really into that game. Uh, March cannot get here soon enough, and mm. hopefully I'll have that game nice and completed before uh, Persona Five comes out. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, golly, it's going to be a good start of the year. I get a Resident Evil game in January, guys. Looks like it's going to be a good one too. It looks really good. I'm really like. Remind <sighs> me to tell you something about that one off mic. Oh, oh God, oh God! I mean, well, I've I've seen a lot of people data mining the crap out of that game, so I'm trying to avoid uh, spoilers. No, no spoilers. Okay, okay, I'm I'm excited for that one, but uh, yeah, I think 2017 is going to be a good year for gaming. We got a lot coming out. We talked about Dragon Quest VIII, uh, Dragon Quest XI, the more oh, yeah. they show of that game, like I need uh, my body is ready, like mm-hmm. I need that game now. Yep. Uh, might be a while. Um, before we get it, like, you know, it could be upwards of a year or three. Uh, but that game looks great. I was a little surprised. It didn't look like there was voice acting in the Japanese version. I was a little surprised by that. Uh, there, was no, there, be. there was no voice acting in the original Japanese 8 either. Right, right. And I, I think that that's one of those things that, like, you know, we talked before about Dragon Quest Seven. If they would just give that game a modern user interface, like... I think everybody would lose their mind over it. It's a little, little clunky and a little, you know. I, I hate putting things on item, uh, putting items on my guys, like and having them. Their bag is filled. So now, where did the strength seed go? Like, I hate that crap. I really do. Like, Dragon Quest needs to knock it off with that. I get it. I get that that's tradition, but that's not fun. You know, like just knock it off. Um, 
Diablo 3, we get the Necromancer and uh, the Darkening of Tristram, which is the the Diablo 1 aesthetics and music, and they, they took out some of the frame rate for Diablo 3 to make it look jankier like uh, Diablo 1, and it looks great. I'm really excited to play that. Uh, Diablo 3 is still that game that is just infinitely fun to play, and they keep supporting it. So maybe a Diablo 4 announcement next year? Who knows? Mm. It would be nice. Well, it seems like um, Atlas are not announcing anything before Persona 5 comes out, but um, I'm hoping maybe 2017 we'll get it, you know, maybe an announcement and even a release of Etrian Odyssey 5. Mm-hmm. That'd be cool. Be real nice. Yes, Yuzo Koshiro soundtrack is once again excellent for that game. You guys think we uh, get Kingdom Hearts next year? <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> maybe like summer 2018? Maybe I I just I have to wonder now based on the the reception Final Fantasy 15 has gotten and their new sort of pledge to add more to it. I wonder how much of their development, uh, how many of their development resources are going to be funneled from Kingdom Hearts 3 into that? Because um, they've said previously that they didn't want to work on uh, Kingdom Hearts 3 sort of in full force until 15 was done. Right. And does done mean out on retail shelves, or does done mean everything year that later. they're doing? Yeah. yeah. So I, I just wonder if that'll affect it at all. And they, they may have entirely separate teams, but I, I don't know. It seems like Nomura, you know, got his knuckles wrapped a bit for, you know, not putting out 15 or versus 13 when he should have. So I'm wondering if, you know, if they're going to trust him and, you know, give him free reign to spend all the time he wants on three. I mean, I don't doubt that it's going to come out at some point, but, you know, I'm wondering if, you know, I, I wonder about the production of that game. The little bits they've shown look very impressive. I mean, I, and I, part of me wants to play that uh, 2 HD remix uh, when it comes out for PlayStation 4, because I really like Kingdom Hearts 1 and 2. I, I think those are really fun games. So we'll see. Uh, but I think that game might be uh, a little far off, and Square Enix is also having some serious... Uh, serious success with their Western games. I mean, we had Deus Ex Mankind Divided this year, which was really good, if not finished. So that was a little bit of a bummer. Uh, Hitman's doing very well for them. Uh, Rise of the Tomb Raider, which I played a little bit of, but it's... Derek, it's just like you were saying earlier in the show. It's so damn similar to the first one. I'm like, I could take it or leave it. Like, it's good, and I'm digging it, but, like, I don't feel the need to finish it because it's practically the same game. Like, I don't know. I've I've been pushing back on that, and I, part of me wants to write like an article for the site about that. Like, you know, I push back on Fallout Four for that. I I push back a little bit on Deus Ex for that. Like, just I, I want to see some more than just incremental improvements. Like, you know, I I hope we're in a couple months, and I'm saying, wow, Persona Five is, amazed me. You know, like I I really hope that's the case. I hope so too. I think it will. I think it will. Let's see. What else is coming out next year that's good? Uh, Horizon. Uh, oh, God. Oh, yeah. I, I forget that we covered that. Whew. That looks good. That yeah, looks really, that really good. Friggin' fantastic. It just looks uh, gorgeous. We any. might cover the new God of War. We haven't decided yet. I think we need to see more of it. But uh, who would have thought we'd be excited for a new God of War game? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who would have thunk it? We've got... Um... Tales of Berseria comes out in January, and while I don't have incredibly high hopes for the story... Uh, another one of those. 
Yeah, the battle system I know for a fact is fantastic. Uh, having played it at E3, and then I downloaded the the demo again on my Japanese PSN account just to see if it was any different. It's not. Uh, is, it's, is that it's great? Is that the latest game that's getting some uh, censorship controversy behind <laughs> air quotes? No, right kind of, but not really. Like, okay, so there's not actually anything to have controversy over. Basically, uh, as far as I'm aware, there was a scene in which a character was stabbed to death. And they changed it so that instead of being stabbed, the character is like magically killed, hugged, <laughs> magically <laughs> hugged. Yeah, so that that was it. Um, and I know a lot of the initial concern was over the main character Velvet's outfit, which is like a tattered sort of leather corset thing, and uh, it shows a lot of uh, underboob. Yeah, so yeah. people were upset that they were worried that it was like, oh my god, they're gonna censor it or whatever. But they they didn't. They kept the costume the same. So it was just that one scene and. People are making a mountain out of a molehill. So, did, did they remove any vagina bones? Have have any <laughs> vagina bones been removed? All vagina bones are present and accounted for at this time. Uh, okay, I just wanted to make sure. Uh, I know Dragon Quest Eight got a little bit of controversy because they, I think it was in the original Japanese version, uh, Jessica's one revealing bikini was changed. Uh, they added a skirt to it, but like it's Nintendo, I'm not surprised by that. Like. <sighs> That doesn't also bother me that much because uh, I married Jessica, so I'm totally okay with that. So. <laughs> right. So that's yep. the thing. Um, <laughs> Gun Rumpa 3 is coming out here. Oh, next. yes. Yeah. Yes. And I'm, I'm excited to see where they go now that they have a clean slate. Yes. Yeah, definitely. I swear to God, if Junko is the villain again. <laughs> yeah, that would be. <laughs> I'm just going to throw her. Are you guys going to do Vita or PlayStation 4 for that? Um, maybe, I don't know. I've, I've been playing visual novels recently on PS4 and I, but I think they're better suited to handheld just because I like being, it's like a book. I want to be able to take it wherever. Um, so I don't know. I'll probably go Vita this time. Just, but, but Danganronpa also has mini games and stuff. So I, I hope that the performance doesn't suffer. Yeah, that's wrong. That's the only thing I'm nervous about. I'm right there with you, Derek. Like, I would much rather play that game on Vita, but if, like, I start getting bad frame rates while I'm doing, like, the, like, targeting... Like Hangman or whatever? Yeah, I... Oh man, I really didn't like that Hangman game in <laughs> Donkey Well, it was funny, because it was either really easy, or sometimes it was absurdly hard. Like, you never got the right letters, and I was just getting really annoyed with it, but... yeah. I, I I really am glad they have a clean slate. I think that's what that yeah. series needs more yep. than anything else. Uh, yep. And the characters seem really interesting. I've been looking at the uh, the Japanese reveal videos just to see what each one's uh, ultimate ability is. And there's some some weirdos again. So you think that everyone... It's like after the first one, I was like, I don't know what else they're going to do. And then the second one had this whole new suite of weirdos. So I'm excited to see another suite of weirdos that are just as out there as one could imagine. Like, I couldn't have come up with this this stuff. So. Yeah, I mean they put Mighty Number no. Nine in there basically, and oh how God. cool is how cool is that? Uh, wow. <laughs> Maybe they, like he, die. He's going to be the first one to get killed, and they, no. they, it's, they, it's going to be like a bookshelf falls on him or no, something. No, I think like, I think he's the cutie giddy of the ne- of uh, number three. Uh, okay. Oh, he seems God. like don't important. don't remind me of the anime, dude. I know, I know, I know. Don't no, don't anyway, do that to me. Other games. Uh, I know that you guys aren't playing, but Final Fantasy XIV Stormblood comes out. Yeah. I, um, I, need, I need to get into that. I really want to give that a go. Would I enjoy it as a single-player experience, or is it, or am I just not going to dig it? Well, the thing is, you you do have... You're forced to group for, for dungeons and instance content, but 
it auto groups you with people. So it's not like you have to sit around actually, you know, like shouting in a town saying, is anybody available to do X, Y, Z? Um, you can do all the dungeons by auto grouping. It's fine. You know, a lot of the time, honestly, people just don't talk. They just run through it and do it. Um, if you're doing story stuff, people are probably going to be more willing to chat with you, but it just, it tells a fantastic story and the writing is so good. Uh, it's worth going through just the storyline. And then when you're done, you can drop it. Like you don't have to do any of the end game grinding for better gear stuff. Like at this point you will get everything you need just by progressing through the story. And if you don't want to go through all that, which I don't know why you wouldn't, but uh, they're going to be offering, uh, they're going to be selling basically like potions to let you jump to where the current expansion begins, like to jump a character to level uh, 60 and then jump ahead and like get all the story flags cleared so you can just go into the new expansion and then rewatch everything from your in-room, which is not something I would ever do, but there are people out there who want to do that. So I, I wouldn't recommend it, uh, but the game is not hard to get into. I think it's the most accessible MMO out there, and there's depth if you want it, but you don't have to. I just think the story's so good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so Stormblood adds, of course, it's going to have a new story. It's going to raise the level cap, which is is cool. Um, looking forward to seeing what kinds of new abilities all the jobs get. And then it's going to have new jobs. They just announced that one of them is Red Mage. So that's something people have been asking for for a long time. I've never been especially fond of the Red Mage archetype, but uh, this one looks pretty interesting. They they fence with rapiers. So they have, like, a fencing sword, and then they're holding a magic medium in the other hand. They look pretty flashy. So um, it's Final Fantasy XIV, and Naoki Yoshida historically does great things. So um, it looks cool. Oh, and they just announced you'll be able to swim and dive underwater in the expansion. Ooh which is pretty cool. Uh, the preliminary screenshots they put out reminded me a lot of Chrono Cross, actually. <laughs> so I was like, because <gasps> it's just like these beautiful coral reefs and uh, like emerald green and blue underwater areas and stuff. And I was like, oh yeah, that's that's my jam. So, so, you're, so you're saying I should just do it? Yeah, I mean, you have a lot of options. There are RPG fan people across a couple of different servers. So at the very least, you've got us. Um, don't get me wrong, it's a, it's a time commitment, but if you just want to get to the story, it's not that bad. It's like playing an offline Final Fantasy, you know, in terms of length. And so predictably, I, I'm also excited about all of the Exceed slash Falcom offerings next year. And not just Exceed, because uh, Tokyo Xanadu, that's going to be coming out courtesy of Axis. I'm curious to see how their localization approach differs from Exceed's. I'm sure it'll be good, because historically Axis stuff has been good. Um, but we've got that. We've got Trust in the Sky Third to cap off that trilogy, which is super exciting. And then there was a, a, an announcement recently that the PS4 version of East 8 will be releasing in Japan this May. It's surprising because it took them almost a year. I mean, by the time it's out, it'll be like a year from the Vita version's release. And they were initially supposed to be simultaneous, as far as I know. I think so. so uh, they're... I mean, they're enhancing the graphics and stuff they've added. They're, they've released some some promo screenshots that show it's different, and it does look a lot better. So I'm curious to see um, what else they add. I know that they're adding, like, some kind of a new mode, like a town defense mode or something that's different from what's already in the game. I don't know. But since East 8 is coming out uh, for PS4 in Japan this year, hopefully we'll hear some rumbling soon about an English release. East Origin is coming to PS4 and Vita sometime early next year as well. Hmm. Yes. If yes. You want to play is. that again? That's that's my favorite one. So uh, I know it wasn't Rob's favorite. Well, <laughs> it's the only one I played, and I liked it. I just didn't, you know, didn't finish it. I just, 
don't know. It, it was one of those, like, I, I appreciate this, but I'm not going to keep playing it. You know? Nothing bad. I didn't hate it. Yeah. At least I don't I think I hated it. Did I hate it? <laughs> no, I didn't hate it. I don't think you hated it. That would feel real good on Vita. So, um, yeah. If you, have, if you haven't played that, do play that. I think I think games like that I would rather play on my Vita at this point. Like I'm I'm very strong about wanting to play those games on my Vita. But hmm. well, guys, uh, 2016 was a weird year uh, in a lot of ways. Uh, good in some, bad in others. But you know, overall, I think we're excited for 2017. I think that's fair to say, and we got a lot of games coming out and. You know, we're going to keep this uh, party rolling with more random encounters. We're definitely going to be talking about lots and lots of good games. Near, now, please, 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 now, now, near, now. Uh, and then we've obviously got to talk about uh, big old uh, Persona 5 when it eventually comes out. So yep. we are going to be busy this year. Very, very busy. Um I think with that, we will end the podcast. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. Again, be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or through the RSS feed. Uh, we love to get emails, and we do read them when we get a collection. So keep emailing us, and we will get to it. So uh, for Derek and for Robert, thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you all later. <laughs>